The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. A very good morning to you. It is 5 a.m. on Wall Street, and here's your top five at five. The S&P on track for its longest weekly streak of gains in more than nine months. Futures pointing to a higher open once again. New data shows the U.K. economy contracted in the second quarter. Shares of Rivian trading lower after the electric vehicle maker trimmed its full-year outlook. The CDC easing its COVID guidance as the country prepares to return to schools and offices this fall. And former President Trump out with a new statement saying he supports the DOJ request to unseal the search warrant for the FBI search of his Mar-a-Lago home. It is Friday, August the 12th, 2022. You're watching Worldwide Exchange on CNBC. Very good morning to you. I'm uh, Wilfred Frost uh, in for Brian Sullivan today. Let's get uh, right to the markets and futures pointing to a very healthy open uh, up uh, about 0.5 percent on the Dow, a little bit more than that for the uh, S&P, 0.6 percent and about uh, 0.7 percent for the Nasdaq. And it has been steadily improving as well over the last uh, uh, hour or so. And of course, comes uh, off the back of a day yesterday where we started well faded by the close. The Nasdaq was down uh, a full half a percent, just more than that, 0.6% by the close. The S&P and the Dow were flat as we stand for the week uh, as a whole. The Nasdaq's up uh, a percent before today uh, and the S&P up 1.5% uh, before today. It's going to be the fourth positive week in a row uh, of gains for both the Dow uh, and S&P. Remarkable uh, turn that uh, following, of course, the start to the year we had uh, for most of the course of the first half of the year. All sectors are positive so far uh, this week. Energy, the best performing quite comfortably, uh, up about uh, 6.3% uh, so far for uh, the week. Uh, let's uh, move on and have a look uh, next uh, up uh, at, uh, what have we got? Uh, the Coming up next uh, on the markets, uh, next chart coming up is, there it is, uh, the S&P uh, so far for the year. Uh, but let's uh, move on to whatever is next in the list, please, guys. Uh, and uh, we, we are looking now uh, at financials uh, as well as uh, the energy performance there. But uh, moving on to the action so far today uh, and uh, the Treasury yields. There we go. Let's have a look at that one next uh, of all uh, yields on the 10-year, 2.875. We touched 2.9, of course, still heavily inverted on the yield front. Uh, worth pointing out that the German 10-year uh, uh, touched 1% again today. Uh, overseas, uh, if we're having a look at uh, Asian markets as well, uh, we did see the Nikkei jump in particular today, having been closed yesterday at 2.6%. Otherwise, markets in Asia broadly flat today. Uh, and looking at uh, a similar performance for the week in terms of the uh, Shanghai market and the Nikkei up 1.3% uh, for the week, uh, Hong Kong sort of flat for the week. There's uh, the picture today in Europe, but pretty healthy as you can see, similar to those US futures this morning, up about half a percent 
uh, in Europe and looking at about one and a half percent of gains for the week as a whole of things hold uh, about here and uh, worth mentioning that UK GDP number it came in at a decline of 0.1 percent for the second quarter that was actually better than expected uh, which was a 0.3 percent decline uh, but nonetheless of course in the red raising questions whether uh, we will be in recession after the next quarter. Here I do believe that two quarters of uh, growth in a row will qualify as a, as a recession, but maybe there'll be a debate about that uh, as and when it does materialise. It looks highly likely uh, that it will materialise, of course, later this year. Quick look at currencies as well. It's been a, a very soft week uh, for the dollar. The dollar itself coming into the day down almost 1.5% this week and just seeing a little bit of dollar strength uh, rebounding off what's been a soft week for the dollar. Energy prices very quickly as well, uh, very strong this week. Uh, they're up 2.6% yesterday. Oil 6% for the week is why uh, energy has been the best performing sector on uh, the S&P. It's uh, a little bit soft, giving up uh, a fraction of those gains from yesterday and this week today, 94 bucks for WTI. Uh, let's move on now to some of this morning's uh, other top stories and uh, joining us for those, Courtney Reagan. Good morning, Court. Hi, Wilf. It's good to see you this morning. Well, shares of Rivian are trading lower right now. The company posting a smaller than expected loss and better than expected forecast for revenues in its latest quarter. But investors are really focusing on the guidance. The EV maker is trimming its full year financial outlook, saying investors should now expect a wider loss and lower capital expenditures than it had previously forecast. Rivian is maintaining its full year guidance for deliveries, shares marginally higher in the early going. Johnson & Johnson says it will stop selling talc-based baby powder globally in 2023. The company ended U.S. sales of the product more than two years ago, following thousands of consumer safety lawsuits. There are about 38,000 legal filings claiming the talc products caused cancer due to contamination with asbestos. J&J denies the allegations and maintains testing and regulatory approvals have shown its talc to be safe and asbestos-free. The company says it will transition to an all-cornstarch-based baby powder portfolio, those shares up about a half a percent. The SEC is reportedly investigating Melvin Capital Management. The Wall Street Journal says regulators are looking into the hedge fund's risk controls and investor disclosure after the firm was hit hard by last year's meme stock rally. In May, Melvin founder Gabe Plotkin told investors he would return their money and wind down the firm's funds. It sounds like, well, if that story continues and is far from over. Back over to you. Far Far from over, some terrible performance there. Uh, Courtney Reagan, thank you so much. Uh, see you again a little bit later. Now back to your uh, money as uh, stocks look to close out. A largely positive week, the S&P 500 and that both on track for a fourth straight week of gains, their longest weekly win streak since November 2021. Joining me now, Howard uh, Capital Management CEO, Vance Howard. A very good morning to you. Thanks so much for, for joining me this morning. I, I guess the first question is, just what you made of yesterday. I mean, clearly futures are now making uh, light of the, the intraday decline yesterday and pointing high. Do you think this, this decent bounce we've had, as we just mentioned, the last three or four weeks of gains can continue? I think you're I think you're setting up for maybe a two to four percent pullback. I think pullbacks are viable now. You know, the short term and the intermediate term uh, trend turned positive about I guess about three or four weeks ago on our HCM byline, which are, is our proprietary trend indicator and the backbone of our whole firm. So we've started taking positions again. We were heavy in cash, you know, for the first six months of this year. We're starting to buy again now. We see a lot of opportunities out there. We've picked up some great deals. The market's moving higher. On a short-term basis, I wouldn't be too concerned about it. I think, I think pullbacks are viable now. I think that you've got a, tr a turn in the market. Uh, the long-term trend is still down, so caution is warranted. But 
you know, optimism is starting to uh, to peak its head up again. I mean, we've had a you know a lousy six months. The market's been terrible, but I think things are they're picking back up, and I think people should get a little bit more optimistic going into the last half of the year. Does inflation need to have peaked for for that uh, position to hold? What what if we got another bad print uh, worse than expected to come? And I think that's one of the bigger questions that we we're all worried about too. Is this the uh, the top of inflation? Is it starting to roll over? We had a good see, you know a good number the other day that you know helped helped the market quite a bit. But uh, you know there's always something to worry about. And uh, so yeah, you know we're we're starting to see a turn. I think you're seeing a lot of opportunity. And I think that the way a lot of investors should start to play this is through ETFs. I don't think you need to you know look at individual stocks right here, even though we are so, to some degree. But you know Texas is looking stronger. You know growth is starting to pick back up. Who had a you know a pretty rough uh, first six months. You know, like uh, the Qs, QQQ and MGK at uh, Vanguard's uh, mega growth uh, ETF. I think that's a great way to play these right here. You can be fast, you can be fluid, you can, you know, scale in or out. So there's a lot of opportunities here to make some money on these turns. Well, and what about uh, looking at bonds? I mean, do you also think they're viable at this level? You know, we were almost 100% in our fixed income portfolio in, in cash up until about three weeks ago. And three weeks ago, we actually started buying some high yields. Um, HGY, we're playing it through an ETF. Uh, you know, another thing that people really need to look at in the fixed income space is convertible bonds. And we've been playing that through CWB, which is a good, you know, convertible bond uh, ETF. It's very liquid. It's very fluid. And it's performing very well right now. Of course, if it starts not to, then we, you, know, you can always sell it and move to something else. But this is the first time that we've seen the bond market take a turn uh, uh, to the north and mean that, meaning that it's a viable rally. And so we have started adding positions to our fixed income portfolio. Yeah. And so, and so what are the risks here? I mean, clearly you sound like short term, there could be a mini pullback, but ultimately you, you buy uh, any pullback from here. What could change that view and make you wrong that would make you think we're going to retest those lows? I, you know, I think the lows are set. I think the bottom was set up, you know, in July and in, in, in June and July. But you never know. I mean, one thing that you mentioned a minute ago was the, the you know, the word of um, a recession. And that that's a, you know, that's a nasty word in our business. And um, so that's one thing that we are looking out for is, is the recession and how that will impact the market. I think you're going to have to be fluid. I think you've got to be, uh, you know, nimble. And I think you've got to take opportunities when they present themselves. There's going to be a lot of opportunities, i got to tell you, in sector rotation. Because the index itself, saying that, you know, you know, the S&P may be down 13% as of today, you know, but a lot of these sectors are down a whole lot more than that. And if you, can, you got a good sector rotation system moving from biotech to healthcare to energy to, to basic materials, there's going to be a lot of opportunity from rotating from sector to sector going forward. So that's a real encouraging thing for investors, a way to play this market and make money on sector rotation too. Vantab, thanks so much uh, for joining me this morning. Uh, much appreciated. Uh, futures pointed to a positive open as we stand to the tune of about half of 1%. Now to this morning's uh, breaking news. Former President uh, Trump says he'll not oppose Attorney General Merrick Garland's unprecedented request to unseal the search warrant used by the FBI in connection with its search of Trump's Mar-a-Lago estate on Monday. NBC's uh, Jay Gray joins us uh, from Washington now with the latest. Uh, and, and Jay, what's the timeline from here? Yeah, well, for a lot unfolding, and we should learn a lot more this afternoon. Look, the week started with the unprecedented FBI search of his Florida home. Next, there was a deposition in an unrelated civil investigation. Now, in just hours, we're set to learn a whole lot more as we talk about uh, about what the former president calls a raid at Mar-a-Lago with the partisan rhetoric and threats surrounding that situation continuing to intensify. 
Attorney General Merrick Garland ratcheting up the legal pressure on former President Donald Trump, asking a federal judge to unseal the search warrant and list of items seized by the FBI at Mar-a-Lago. In light of the former president's public confirmation of the search, the surrounding circumstances, and the substantial public interest in this matter. Mr. Trump acknowledging online overnight he won't block the release of the information. The unparalleled action by Garland coming after days of baseless speculation, unfounded accusations by the former president and his allies, and stepped up increasingly violent rhetoric online. I will not stand by silently when their integrity is unfairly attacked. Aimed at the FBI, Department of Justice, and other law enforcement agencies. When you talk like this, it doesn't sound like you're pro-cop. It sounds like you're pro-coup. Thursday, there was an attack on the FBI field office in Cincinnati. Subject supposed to be armed with body armor, fired several shots at officers. The suspect, Ricky Schiffer, died after a shootout with police. NBC News confirming Schiffer was at the Capitol during the January 6th insurrection and following the search at Mar-a-Lago, posted on social media about his desire to kill FBI agents, urging others to engage in violence and to be ready for, quote, combat. Yeah, also this morning, there are reports the identity of the judge who signed the search warrant, along with his home address and names of his family members, have been posted alongside uh, messages about violence on social media. So, Wilf, a lot unfolding, and we should learn a lot more this afternoon. We certainly should. Uh, Jay Gray, thanks so much for that update. Uh, when we come back here on Worldwide Exchange, the consumer in focus as some of the world's biggest retailers prepare to report quarterly results next week. We'll get you ready uh, on that front. But uh, as we head to break, check out this morning's biggest pre-market winners and losers. Uh, stay tuned to a very busy hour of Worldwide Exchange. S&P futures up half a percent. We'll be back in a couple minutes. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Canva presents stories to keep you up at night. It was an ordinary work day until... The Singapore presentation is at 3 a.m. The office was shocked. <laughs> That's when we sleep. Maya made it less scary with Canva. <laughs> I'll just record my presentation so Singapore can watch it anytime. Record and present anytime with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Uh, with big tech and media in the rearview mirror, investors uh, are turning their attention to next week's slate of retail results among the uh, top issues in focus. Inflation, demand, inventories and the surging dollar. Courtney Reagan is back with a preview 
uh, of what to expect. Hey, Court. Hey, well, yeah, so next week is a really big one for retail with some of the country's biggest players reporting results. Investors, of course, want to know if inflation is pinching consumer spending and if so, where and how retailers are dealing with the rising cost of doing business as costs like freight and transportation remain elevated. So Walmart reports Tuesday. That's the first report for new CFO John David Rainey after the company issued a profit warning for the first time in eight and a half years. Walmart says inflation is changing the way its shoppers are spending, buying less higher margin goods like apparel, but spending more on lower margin food put together. It's pushing sales higher than expected, but profit lower. As a Dow component, what the world's largest retailer has to say about how the quarter ended will likely influence broader markets. Rival Target reports Wednesday, and it too issued a warning early in the quarter that it was discounting more than planned to clear through excess inventory in order to respond to changing consumer buying patterns. Like others, Target has seen an uptick in shoppers returning to stores. The street wants to know, is that continuing? How's early back-to-school shopping trending? And are there any signs that inflation is peaking? Home Depot and Lowe's will give the street a good look into the psyche of the American homeowner as mortgage rates rise. Is the remodeling cycle softening? Evercore ISI fears that do-it-yourself share and outdoor inventory in the dry, hot summer will be a bigger risk for Lowe's than rival Home Depot. It notes warnings from Scott's Miracle Grow about retail partners' inventory and weak paint results from Sherwin-Williams. Now, Kohl's, Tapestry, BJ's Wholesale, TJX, Ross Stores, and Foot Locker also report, well, if we're going to be busy, there's going to be a lot of importance in the details of what the executives have to say about how consumers are spending. Back over to you. Going to be be busy indeed, uh, Court. And I I mean, clearly, as you said there, that the expectations were lowered significantly when the likes of, of Walmart warned on profits already. Did we learn anything since then from the the tech-related retailers like Amazon and Etsy? Yeah, you know what? It's so interesting, Wolf, because I think every company almost is telling a different story. And it really depends on who you ask, what the consumer is buying, how they're spending, how the company is managing it. And that's what's been so difficult from any company, really, that sells anything to consumers. Some are managing it better than others. And so I think the messages so far, frankly, have still been pretty mixed. So we are really interested to hear, again, especially from Walmart, because they are so broad, they are so large, and what they have to say really influences markets. Yes, they gave us that warning, but didn't give us a ton of details. And it wasn't entirely surprising because it did come after Target. But we often compare the two. But remember, more than half of what Walmart sells is grocery. And so knowing that food price inflation is so impactful to an American consumer, particularly one on the lower scale of income, there's a lot going on there in the details that we're going to need to know a little bit more about. Well, we look forward uh, to you diving into all of those details for us next week. Courtney, thank you so much. Still on deck here on Worldwide Exchange, your mystery chart of the morning. A biotech company getting slammed down nearly 17% after its CEO warns of trouble ahead. We will reveal which chart that is coming up. You're watching Worldwide Exchange on CNBC. S&P futures up 0.5%. Hi, I'm Ben. I suffer from a condition called writer's block. It strikes when I'm at work. That's why I choose Canva Magic Write. It works fast, generating texts in seconds, thanks to AI. Common side effects include increased productivity, compliments from coworkers, feelings of satisfaction. Now I can say bye-bye to writer's block. Ask your boss if Canva Magic Write is right for you at canva.com, designed for work. Yeah. 
Welcome back. Uh, good morning. Uh, once again, it's time for your big money movers. Uh, first up, Poshmark, the online marketplace for new and used apparel and accessories, reporting a wider second quarter loss that was driven mostly by higher spending on marketing and research uh, and development. Uh, revenue topping both analysts and companies' own forecasts. However, Poshmark's revenue guide for the third quarter, short of estimates, uh, and as you can see, uh, down a little bit in the pre-market uh, by about a percent. Uh, next up, Illumina, the biotech company swinging to a second quarter loss uh, while revenue fell short of expectations uh, and it cut its full year outlook. The CEO citing macro challenges, but he expects a slowdown in demand for the company's gene sequencing equipment to be temporary. That said, the stock down sharply, 15% in the pre-market. Stock three is Toast. The maker of payment systems and other technology for restaurants reporting a smaller loss in the second quarter. Revenue beat forecasts and the company is raising its earnings outlook for the full year. And it's jumped 20% in the pre-market today. Though, of course, as you can see from that chart, is still down nearly 40% year to date. Let's get a check now on this morning's other headlines. NBC's Philip Mina is in New York with the latest for us. Philip. Hi, Wolf. Good morning. The CDC is loosening its COVID safety guidelines just days before nearly 50 million children return to the classroom. It no longer recommends people quarantine after being exposed regardless of their vaccination status, except in certain settings like jails, nursing homes and homeless shelters. It instead recommends wearing a mask for 10 days and getting tested on day five. The health agency also eliminated the recommendation to test children to stay in school after an exposure. A sad update overnight. Actress Anne Heche is not expected to survive. That's according to her rep. The Emmy Award-winning actress suffered a catastrophic brain injury after crashing her car into a Los Angeles home a week ago. Heche is being kept on life support to see if any of her organs are viable for donation. Yesterday, investigators revealed the presence of drugs in her system. Heche rose to fame in the 90s, starring alongside actors like Harrison Ford, Robert De Niro, and Dennis Hoffman. Her family says she will be remembered for her courageous honesty. Finally, we had a pair of preseason games in the NFL Thursday night. Rookie quarterback Malik Willis found the end zone for the Titans with his feed, but the Ravens would find the end zone through the air to close out the half. Baltimore tacked on a few field goals and won it 23-10. to And the New England Patriots scored late to take the lead against the Giants, but like Super Bowl 42, New York would march down the field for the game winner. Graham Gano hits the field goal. As time expired, the Giants win it 23-21. That's it from here, Wolf. We'll send it back to you. Thank you so much for that, Philip. Uh, much appreciated. So to come here on Worldwide Exchange, the House expected to pass the Inflation Reduction Act today. Uh, what politicians are saying and what investors need to know about it, that's coming next. And if you haven't already, do follow and subscribe to our podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange live in the morning, you can catch up later in the day. Check us out wherever you get your podcast. We will be right back. Futures pointing up by about half a percent. Good morning and welcome to the final trading day of the week as the Bulls try and charge into the weekend. Uh, in Washington, the House is expected to follow Senate uh, Democrats and pass the Inflation Reduction Act. We'll talk about uh, what that means for your money. And Rivian shares uh, stalling a bit after the EV maker trims its full-year guidance. Uh, that story coming up too. It is Friday, August the 12th, 2022. You're watching Worldwide Exchange on CNBC. 
Welcome back. I'm Wilfred Frost uh, in for Brian Sullivan this morning. It is around 5.30 p.m. on Wall Street. Let's get right to the markets and your money. Futures pointed higher today, about uh, half a percent or so higher after. Yesterday, we did lose steam during the session, such that the Nasdaq closed down 0.6%. The S&P and the Dow finished the day yesterday flat. Uh, all three indices had been nicely higher in the session, but uh, that doesn't matter because futures are pointing higher today. Uh, as I said, about 100 uh, 50 points or so on the Dow, uh, all, all three of them are at about uh, half a percent or so higher in the pre-market. And we come into this uh, this final trading day of the week nicely higher for the week. The Nasdaq's up 1% for the week before today. The Dow and the S&P up 1.5% for the week before today. And we're looking at our fourth positive week in a row for the Dow and S&P 500. Treasury yields, uh, let's have a look there, remain, of course, uh, inverted on the yield curve, the 10-year uh, touching 2.9% uh, yesterday, it's uh, at about 2.88, just below that level. Worth pointing out that the German 10-year crossed back above 1% this morning. Uh, overseas markets, uh, let's have a look uh, as well. Uh, we saw a decent jump for the Nikkei today, but that was uh, closed yesterday, so playing a little bit of catch-up. And for the week as a whole, you're seeing uh, the Shanghai and the Nikkei up about 1.3%, so not too dissimilar from uh, U.S. gains uh, for the week, whilst Hong Kong's about flat for the week. Uh, European trade has been positive today, uh, up about half a percent for the most part, adding to about a percent of gains uh, week to date. So again, about 1.5 percent of gains this week for European markets. There you can see green across the screen uh, today. Currencies, the dollar just uh, uh, giving up, uh, gaining back a little bit uh, today, just two tenths of a percent or so, having uh, had a very soft week uh, down more than a percent for the week as a whole. Energy prices, very strong this week, very strong yesterday. 2.6% uh, higher for WTI yesterday, 6% higher uh, for the week as a whole. And uh, adding to a little bit of a gain, so we were in the red earlier for WTI, now 94.6, up about a third of 1%. Cryptos, uh, again, had a decent week uh, as the dollar has uh, softened. And uh, this morning uh, we're seeing uh, the price of Bitcoin just uh, give up half a percent, but it's at 24000 now to this morning's top corporate headlines. Courtney Reagan is back with those. Hey, Court. Hi, Will. So let's kick off with Apple. The tech giant reportedly asking suppliers to make at least as many new iPhones as they did last year. Bloomberg says Apple expects suppliers to build about 220 million of the devices for the year. Apple shares have been on a run up about 15 percent over the last three months, up marginally here in the early going. Shares of Rivian are trading lower right now. The company posting a smaller than expected loss and better than forecast revenues in its latest quarter. But investors are focusing on guidance. The EV maker is trimming its full-year financial outlook, saying investors should now expect a wider loss and lower capital expenditures than it had previously forecast. Rivian is maintaining its full-year guidance for deliveries. And in global news, Samsung's Lee Jung-young will receive a pardon in South Korea on Monday. He is the grandson of the company's founder and the company's de facto leader. Lee was put in prison twice for bribing South Korea's former president. The pardon will wipe a 2017 conviction from his criminal record, but he still faces legal issues tied to an accounting scandal. Lee is denied wrongdoing. Wilfred? Courtney Reagan, as always, thank you so much. Uh, see you again uh, soon. Uh, let's get back now to... Uh, the breaking news overnight uh, and a very busy day, of course, shaping up in Washington, D.C. First uh, of all, former President Trump says he'll not oppose Attorney General Merrick Garland's unprecedented request to unseal the search warrant used by the FBI in connection with its raid of Trump's Mar-a-Lago estate on Monday. Garland, speaking publicly yesterday, said he personally approved the search warrant 
Uh, and uh, in a statement uh, posted to Truth Social just before midnight last night, the former president said, in part, quote, not only will I not oppose the release of documents related to the un-American, unwarranted and unnecessary raid uh, and break-in of my home in Palm Beach, Florida, Mar-a-Lago, I'm going a step further by encouraging the immediate release of those documents, even though they've been drawn up by radical left Democrats. Also today uh, in D.C., the House of Representatives set to pass the Inflation Reduction Act, uh, clearing the final hurdle before President Biden can sign the $430 billion climate tax and health care bill into law. Uh, joining me uh, with uh, the investor implications of all of this D.C. action is uh, Stifle Chief uh, Washington Policy Strategist Brian Gardner, also co-host of the Potomac uh, Perspective podcast. A very good morning to you, Brian. Thanks so much uh, for joining me. Why don't we start um, on, on this uh, unsealing uh, of the search warrant. When can we expect to, to see the contents of it? I still think it has to go through the courts. So we, we may get an answer today, um, uh, depending on the court's docket, um, uh, probably next week, uh, but certainly sometime within the next couple of days. Um, and I think we're all kind of waiting with bated breath to see what was actually in there. We, we certainly are. I guess that the big question I've got uh, as it relates to markets is is whether this last weeks of events and what's to come really drastically change uh, the, the equation coming into the midterms? I, I don't think so. Um, the Republicans have been highly energized to show up in November and vote. Um, this certainly adds to it. Um, you know, I, I always go back to events like this to uh, what then candidate Trump said back in 2015, 2016, that he could walk down Fifth Avenue, shoot a bunch of people, and his supporters would still love him. Um, he now seems to be, in their eyes, being persecuted, not prosecuted, but persecuted. And so the Trump base of the Republican Party is going to be totally ginned up uh, to turn out. Not that they already weren't, but this just adds to their fervor to get out and vote. I guess on the flip side, one question being raised is, is whether some of these legislative successes for the Democrats and President Biden can alter things on the other side and, and the latest one of those expected today. Yeah, I, I'm very skeptical that the Inflation Reduction Act is going to have a meaningful impact uh, at the polls in November. Um, I, I think voters are going to uh, to go on uh, a couple of, of issues. One on the Republican side, they'll turn out because of uh, inflation, which the bill doesn't really address, um, the economy, crime, border security. Uh, on the Democratic side, um, you know, I, I, I think the Dobbs case from June could wind up being a bigger factor than I had originally thought. Um, so um, we've seen some hints er, uh, over the last couple of weeks that Democrats are more energized after that Supreme Court ruling. So maybe that gets them out in bigger numbers than what I was previously expecting. But I, I think probably it's a wash. And I, I just don't think that this week is that big of a deal in terms of November. $430 billion, of course, is, is a lot. It, it feels small relative to, to some of the stimulus packages of, of, of recent years. What might it do to the economy? I mean, clearly there's tightening on the monetary side, uh, but, but it makes some sense to try and stamp out inflation with some tighter monetary policy and, and a little bit of easing on the fiscal side. So the issue for the bill is that it is implemented over numerous years. The um, that some of the prescription drug uh, provisions go in starting in 25, 26. Um, there are other factors that they, they get phased in. So it's not an immediate impact. So 
you know, it, as an investor, if you're looking, what does this bill do for inflation and the economy in 2022, 2023? The answer is very little. The, the bigger provisions of the bill really kick in in the out years. So, so um, there's not going to be a uh, an impact on the inflation issue, at least in the short term. And really, you know, to your point, well, when you know, when you're talking about the size of the package, uh, it, it's dwarfed in size one by previous COVID uh, stimulus packages. And the other is that, that the Fed is the game in town. When you're talking about a, a couple hundred billion dollars in fiscal spending that doesn't occur for several years compared to trillions on the Fed's balance sheet, there's no comparison. So it really is the Fed, not this bill. Uh, Brian, just wanted to return to, to former President Trump. Uh, we had a um, former ambassador, John Bolton, on Sky News this week. And uh, regardless of this week's past events, uh, his take was that he didn't think former President Trump would run again because he's more fearful of losing again than, than he, in fact, wants to win again. What's your take on that? I think that's wishful thinking by some um, uh, Trump opponents within the Republican Party. I, I think when you're looking at 2024, the biggest impact of this week is that it probably freezes the field. If the president, if the former president wants to run, and I suspect odds are he does, um, uh, he's just going to freeze out the rest of the field. And it becomes very difficult for other Republicans who may want to run in 24 to actually pull the trigger and run. So and, and again, you know, the events of this week are going to really gin up the Trump base who now see him as a victim and that DOJ, the FBI, they're not playing fair. They're, they're targeting him uh, in ways that Democratic politicians don't get targeted. And that's they're, they're going to rally around their leader. Um, and so, you know, this he may he may not want to be a loser, but I, I wonder if the ambassador is kind of um, uh, projecting a little bit more than anything else. I, I, I'm really skeptical that this changes Trump's mind. And if anything, I, I think it could go in the opposite direction and make him even more likely to run. Brian Gardner, thanks uh, so much for joining me this morning. Very much appreciate thanks. it. Thanks, Wolf. Coming happy up here Brian. on Worldwide Exchange, follow the money. A happy Friday to you as well. Uh, new data on which corporate leaders are betting big on their own stocks. We'll have uh, that coming up next. Plus, shares of Rivian pulling back this morning. We'll talk to an analyst about what's next for the EV maker. Stay tuned. You're watching Worldwide Exchange on CNBC. Dow futures higher by 0.4%. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Uh, time for your exclusive weekly insider buying segment. Brian Sullivan uh, regularly highlights, as you will all know, the companies with C-suite executives buying the most of their own stock. Uh, Brian is prepping for Squawk uh, right now, but uh, has filed this report for his loyal WEX viewers. The data comes from Verity Platforms. Uh, let's count you down from the fifth biggest buy to the single biggest buy of the week by insiders. Uh, fifth place is Ball Corp, the CFI buying $1 million, uh, his first insider buy in about 18 years. Fourth uh, place is Parsons Corp, with a board member buying $1.5 million of the uh, engineering and design firm stock. Number three is TransUnion, the credit monitoring agency, the CEO making a big insider buy, $1.9 million, uh, and that's his first ever uh, insider buy. Stock two, Civitas Resources, the Denver-based oil and gas firm, the CEO buying $2 million worth of the stock. It's up 20% in six months, so he's buying on strength. But 
the biggest insider buy this week uh, and one of the biggest we've ever seen is also an energy company. It's the pipeline firm Energy Transfer. The founder and executive chairman, Kelsey Warren, making a massive $30 million buy uh, of ET. His uh, per share price was uh, just under $11 according to Verity Data. This is another big buy for Warren, who's close to putting $200 million back into the company. Uh, it's certainly a stock to watch uh, based uh, on that data alone. Uh, there you go, your top five insider buys this week. Bullcorp, Parsons, TransUnion, Civitas and Energy Transfer. It's a segment you will only see here on Worldwide Exchange or on CNBC Pro. Make sure to sign up today. Make sure also to stay tuned throughout the day on CNBC, but in particular for Squawk Box uh, with Brian Sullivan uh, after this show, Worldwide Exchange. Brian Sullivan and Melissa Lee this morning on Squawk. Uh, now uh, let's check in to some of the big money movers of the day. Rivian, uh, the electric vehicle maker, reporting a smaller than expected second quarter loss, but is calling for steeper losses for the year. The company citing ongoing supply chain issues and rising costs. Uh, Rivian did stick to its goal of making 25,000 vehicles this year and says it's on track to add a second shift to its factory this quarter. You can see it's, uh, in fact, uh, a little bit higher in the pre-market now by about a percent. Uh, let's chat about the results and the EV uh, landscape. Tim Higgins, uh, auto and tech reporter at the Wall Street Journal uh, and a CNBC contributor, joins us now. Very good morning to you, Tim. Thanks so much for, for joining us. So, so what was the headline in these numbers? As we just said, the pre-market a fraction higher at the moment. So a, a decent quarter, but fractionally disappointed guidance? Yeah, mixed. But I think a lot of people were looking for that uh, guidance, that reiteration that they're going to try to hit 25,000 vehicles this year. Rivian, uh, Lucid, Tesla, these are growth stories. And if uh, right out of the gate, if Lucid is already running into problems and not being able to grow, that would be troubling. So it's really going to be a, a stretch period for them, that second half. It's going to be a lot more expensive than they thought it was going to be, A, because of inflationary costs, uh, but B, uh, just to get those uh, parts uh, to the factory is going to be more expensive. So you know, typically ramping a factory for a car company is inefficient, but for a startup car company, Oh, it's, uh, you know, it's manufacturing hell. I mean, we've, we've obviously seen this year that Tesla's held up pretty well, all things uh, considered. There's been quite a lot thrown, thrown at it. Uh, what, what about the other pure play EV names like Rivian? Are, are they finding it harder either because of supply chain issues or because of lots more EV uh, competition coming on from the traditional players? Are they finding it harder relative to Tesla? Well, the supply chain is really an issue for these new companies. Tesla has years of experience. That is one of the things that they have shined uh, during the pandemic, being able to get the parts they need, whereas other automakers have really struggled. I mean, it hasn't been easy, but they've been able to do it. Uh, a company like Rivian, you know, this is their first dance. Um, you know, go back 10 years when Tesla was trying to ramp up the Model S. Different time, of course, but even then they struggled at trying to get parts from suppliers who maybe weren't always motivated to help the new guy in the way that they needed because their, their bacon is made with the bigger companies. So that's just the nature of the auto industry. Uh, and then you just compound that challenge here in a period of time when there's uh, less parts and there's shortages for all. And, you know, Rivian is having to learn on the fly. Uh, what about this uh, inflation reduction bill? Is that a significant boost for EV firms or, or, or is it marginal? It, you have to imagine it's hugely frustrating for these new players, having had expectations that that uh, $7,500 credit would be there for them. Uh, now, uh, a lot of these companies selling vehicles that are too expensive, or maybe their supply chains don't meet the requirements. Listening to Rivian's uh, CEO yesterday, 
you, you know, you're kind of you're you're seeing him trying to find some positive there. He thinks that their next uh, product, the, the R2 lineup that they reiterated will hit in 2025, that this will be applicable for the, the credits. That's good news. Uh, it's supposed to be cheaper, but also they are building the supply chain for those cells uh, based upon the U.S. domestically. So that's very important. But, you know, you look at in the next uh, six months or in the next year, you have to imagine they were hoping to have that uh, credit there to help lower the cost of the vehicle. You know, in the initial sales, uh, you know, those are early adopters, so they're willing to pay more. But you get through that book of orders and then, you're, you know, it's a struggle there. And we saw that uh, even with Tesla and the Model 3 in 2019 as they were trying to get their prices down. And, and then uh, finally, for, for Rivian, before maybe we sneak a, a question in on Tesla, uh, is their cash cash position strong or weak, or where does that stand? It's unique, I think. Uh, you know, they're burning a lot of cash. Uh, they reiterated that they think they'll have enough to bring out uh, this new product in 2025, and that's very important for them to be reiterating. I think the market was really looking for that kind of guidance. Uh, but you know, they're burning. They burned through a lot of cash in that first half of the year, and you know, really no indication that it. You would be, think it would stop burning in the second half. So they've got a lot. They started off with a lot of money, but in the cat in the car business, the metal bashing business, it just eats cash uh, for breakfast. We are, in fact, out of time, Tim. Alas, uh, no time for a question on Tesla. We'll have to get you back uh, soon. Thanks for joining us, Tim Higgins. Thank you. Still to come, we'll check in with a couple of uh, money managers and get you ready for the final trading session of the week. Uh, it's looking good. Uh, up half a percent in the pre-market. It's going to be the fourth week of gains in a row for the S&P. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. We're kicking off the final trading day of the week with futures pointing nicely high. The Dow up 180 uh, as we stand. Uh, so more than half a percent of gains for all three of those uh, major averages in the pre-market. Joining me, Jay Hatfield, uh, CEO of Infrastructure Capital Advisors, and Aaron Gibbs, CIO of Main Street Asset Management. A very good morning uh, to you both. Uh, Aaron, I'll come to you first. Uh, what's your take as to whether we are into a new phase, a fresh bull market? It, you know, it's, it's a bit of a head-scratcher. Uh, certainly looking at, obviously, just the performance, I'd have to say that it looks like we are. Um, but when looking at what's driving this bull market, it's really all about interest rates and not about fundamentals. Uh, and so that's, that's certainly concerning. We'd love to have you know, all sides confirming that we are coming into a more robust period. Um, and when you look at earnings estimates growth for the next four quarters, as, as we're basically finishing up the reporting seasons, um, it's, it's really dismal. Uh, you know, we're looking at growth rates for the next two quarters that have been cut in half, um, you know, a really down across the board. Uh, and we're seeing expanded evaluations that are much higher um, than their five-year averages. So, um, you know, just how long can this sentiment last? Uh, and that's the concern is just how long can we get going off of expecting interest rates to slow and potentially even decline next year. What, what, what about earnings season, though, in general, this past quarter? Because I think a lot of people's takes has been less bad than it could have been. Do, do you disagree with that? Oh, so no, the, in, in the actual reports, sure, it's been good. You know, we've had 
don't know, better beats. It's just that, you know, the market's always looking ahead for the next 12 months. And so I'm looking at how guidance has changed these estimates over the last month, the last six weeks. Um, so how has the next two quarters changed our expectations? How has the, the quarters into 2023? And that's what's really concerning is because generally we don't see these types of revisions for the future quarters so drastically um, and coming down so badly. So while you know companies have eked out and done pretty well and had some good beats, um, when you're looking forward, um, we're looking at you know even negative birth rates into 2023, so actual contractions again. Um, and again, we're looking at growth rates that went from about 10% to about 5% on the S&P 500 for the second half of that this year, so well below an inflation rate. Uh, and so that's the concern is really when the takeaway of what, what did guidance mean to us, uh, the guidance is, is really de- like depressing. Uh, in terms of uh, valuation multiples, though, did they compress enough in the, in the first half of the year to suggest a low is in on, on that side of things? Uh, so for, for the broader markets, when you're looking at mid caps or large caps, they at least uh, came down to just about their five year average. But by no means would you call them cheap. They weren't at a massive discount compared to historical averages or compared to periods where we're having um, higher interest rates. Um, the NASDAQ just brief, briefly touched uh, its five-year averages, um, so just you know, came down to an average level, and now is 20% higher. Um, so, uh, you know, when you're when you're looking at historical valuations and and periods where um, you know you have rising interest rates, they they still are above average. Certainly not as expensive as we went into just from two years ago. Um, but by no means cheap. Um, and finally, Aaron, uh, overall, are you adding a bit of risk to portfolios or, or taking profits after this, this nice bounce right. we've had? So I know I'm sounding very negative and very hesitant. Um, I have been adding, and I've been taking a lot, adding a lot of risk. Um, I, you know, I, one of my calls was Aspen Technologies, so mid-cap tech stock, you know. Um, so... Uh, I do believe that as long as this is going on and as long as that positive sentiment is going, run with it. I'm just saying be very careful because there's still a little uh, shakiness on the fundamental side. And so if if you're adding risk, absolutely add stop losses. Make sure you have an exit strategy going in so that if the trend does change, because this is really based off of treasury rates. And so if that changes, so is this trend. Because uh, it's not based off of fundamentals. And so uh, I'm adding Aaron. by long of this running, you don't want to be out. Uh, but certainly I'm just telling investors to be cautious, to be wary and ready to change. Aaron Gibbs, thanks so much for joining us this morning. Very much appreciate You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. 
See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.